You're listening to the Enclave Community Church Podcast. For more information about Enclave, follow the links in the description. There it is, and now it's a green light, right? All right, sounds good. Um, It was a riveting appearance, one of the most shocking, unexpected delights, though we were forewarned that that Andrew wanted to address us. I kept on looking at the screen, uh, thinking he might come... Um, from something pre-recorded, something rehearsed, um, but um, it was palatable, the sense of drama and um, delight filled with um, a sense of expectancy. What would, what would Andrew say? And one of the things that was marked to me uh, in uh, reading his heart um, was just how um, other-minded he was. Be concerned not about your own things, but the things of others. Uh, he uh, particularly th- thought of the glory of God, that no advantage uh, be taken by the enemy during a precarious time. The Bible talks about, um, in a kind of natural context illustration, that if a person is going to plunder a house um, and harm the occupants inside of a home, uh, you first have to bind the strong man. And then once having incapacitated the head of the home, then... Um, there's less resistance among those who are used to following his lead. Um, I, as with many of you, I'm sure you've sensed the vulnerability uh, that our sh- our shepherd has been struck, um, and the sense of confidence about the vitality of his spiritual life was one of the main things that uh, I just felt so thankful for. The way that he he thought about us, maybe particularly his family. Um, it's just um, uh, something I've never, I've never had before. One of the, the tenderness of our time, I mean, a lot of embracing, a lot of um, uh, tears, unex- unexplained uh, enigma about how uh, when God acts out of character or seemingly, um, there's hardly any one of us who... Um, has not entertained thoughts of bewilderment and trying to make sense of that which we often are reduced to, we just don't know. Um, God has his ways and we have ours and there are times in which there seems to be uh, no adequate explanation as to the ways of God. And uh, as we try on those shoes that God wears, um, how we would do it, uh, even that seems futile because we're not God. We are creatures, and he's the creator. I, I've wondered about um, what I would say to you, because there, there is the uh, frame of reference that I've had for many years um, regarding flocks. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a carer of flocks, and um, I, would have, I would have addressed the issues, um, and I have on, on hundreds of occasions, some awkward, some, are you really going to uh, talk about that publicly? And uh, I, I tend to be more candid than coy, uh, more straightforward than having to figure out what I'm trying to say. So I thought, well, this church doesn't know you, and uh, you're very easily misunderstood for having that, that demeanor. Uh, is, it, is it too close to home? Is it too soon? Um, is it my prerogative to address spiritual issues. I'm not an elder. I'm certainly not the pastor. Um, but I do care for you. 
I, I care a lot based on the friendship and kinship um, and frame of reference with, with Pastor Andrew. Uh, I care a lot that also. I've, I've decided and felt, I felt led. Um, what I would share with you uh, if we were spending a day together and trying to make sense, um, uh, there certainly would be the sense of camaraderie and having uh, experienced to varying degrees, of course, um, based on, on friendship and time and investment and things of that nature. But we would, to a person, uh, feel the sense of uh, tragedy, the sense of uh, disorientation. Uh, this is not comfortable. And it's only because of God's overarching desire uh, for uh, us to know him better, even if during the, the interim time before uh, we discover things about God, uh, we, we may have the wrong impression. We may say things that in, in later retrospection, you think, oh, I shouldn't have probably thought that. But the, the Bible doesn't talk about uh, uh, chiding us for thoughts we have. David would be the worst offender. The things that he writes about, you go, golly, he's, not, he's being that straightforward guy, and God doesn't seem to chastise him or get him in trouble for it. I think there, there are limits to what you yell back at a person. Um, we've, had, we've had four kids, so we've heard that during their adolescence, all sorts of stuff that we can look back at it now and kind of laugh about that kind of shaking their fist. Sometimes we do that to God, and uh, times like this of, of uh, uh, things that hurt us, things that we don't understand, um, we all can relate. There's, there's hardly any one of us that has a um, kind of looking back uh, standard in which we are not um, kind of saddened by some of the immaturity of our bursts of anger and frustration and our desire to take God's place. Um, but that, that said, there is a remarkable section of scripture um, in uh, John chapter 11. You, you heard the recitation by the professional readers theater group. Um, we only lost our place six times. That's pretty good. That's our first inaugural and maybe last uh, performance. Um, but. Um, the text talks about something most of us have heard this story. Um, on closer inspection, you see some universal ideas. I'd, I'd love, we went to church for, while well, I was in seminary in uh, Fullerton, um, to a young fledgling little church with a little known pastor called Chuck Swindoll. Um, and uh, so many memorable things about being part of that congregation and hearing uh, Chuck, week by week, um, one of them was his eloquence. And here's part of that eloquence on display. Chuck Swindoll once wrote, Lord, I'm drowning in a sea of perplexity. Waves of confusion crash over me. I'm too weak to shout for help. Either quiet the waves or lift me above them. It's too late to learn to swim. David could identify with that prayer of desperation when he composed Psalm 69. The psalm begins, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying and my throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. 
As the text begins in, in John chapter 11, we're introduced to the cast of characters that we're going to be um, reviewing this incident. Uh, you, you have Jesus and his disciples, and they're on a ministry trip not far away. Um, uh, it, it sounds as if they're in Jerusalem, just two miles or so um, from Bethany. And uh, the establishment is uh, Lazarus has fallen ill. He has two beloved sisters. Um, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be in the wrong category to place Lazarus and his two sisters among the closest friends that, that Jesus has on earth. Um, it is a thought that when Jesus came in for festivals in uh, Jerusalem, that besides the Mount of Olives as a place where he would be for the, the nights while he was there, that Bethany, being just over the crest of the Mount of Olives, would have been the likely place where he spent many a day, a lot of time. And so the text tells us this is, this is Mary and Martha's place. This is their brother. Um, and they mention the devotion of Mary. This is the one who, in extravagant uh, devotion to the Lord, broke an alabaster jar and poured, uh, poured them over the, the Lord's feet. This is, this is an insider. Uh, this is someone uh, who loves the Lord, and the Lord loves these people. And that, and that, that is pivotal to the story because it'll repeat within a few verses because of the contradictory behavior of Jesus. Now, Jesus loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. It's, it's a road sign because I know it doesn't look like it, it doesn't sound like it, because what Jesus has said to the uh, message that's come from Mary and Martha, they say, the one you love, Lazarus, he's sick. And it's implied, and the story unfolds, the expectation you get from that is that we know you're going to come. The one you love is sick, and he could use a visit. He could use your healing and your presence. We're looking forward that now that you know that the one you love is having difficulty, we're going to get the bed ready. And the text says... Um, it prompts us, now Jesus loved them, therefore he stayed many days more. And you go, what? It doesn't sound like it. I bet it doesn't feel like it either. And when the dialogue ensues after many days, it's so graphic. It's so raw. Martha, who doesn't, says something like, I'm not sure you want to go to where he's been laid. It's been four, it's been four days. And I think the uh, different versions say it, try to cover it up, but it really smells bad, is the way it reads in the King James. It, he stinketh, I think it might say. <laughs> I appreciate newer translations. It's not a graphic. Um, and when Mary and Martha have a almost identical kind of reaction, it's not meant, I think, to capture the whole conversation, the gist of it. Remember what they said? Like on cue, Jesus 
If you would have been here, our brother would not have died. How would you put that? I guess we all have different IQs. If somebody said that to you, I guess you communication's a lot by presence, but I tend to pick up um, Martha and Mary are not happy campers. There's, there's a hint there of rebuke, disappointment, anger, frustration. We got word to you in plenty of time. He was just sick then, and we waited, and we looked at the horizon for your figure, and here we are, away from the house, away from Lazarus. It's too late. They, they might have even been a sense of agitation. What are you doing here now? The thing that the text, it doesn't take a lot of imagination, but, but this is the way it always is for us. And the, the uh, benefit of, of being a reader is that the story already completed. You know the ending within a couple of minutes. God and Jesus knew exactly why he was delayed. Nobody else did. There's only one person on that scene uh, who's omniscient and who's sovereign. Remember what he said? Therefore, Jesus stayed on in Jerusalem many days later. And he says... We are staying longer because God is going to be glorified and I am going to be exalted. Oh, okay. That would be helpful. Though it wouldn't be totally satisfying if, if we knew in every situation the reason behind why God disappoints us. We still wouldn't be for it. The things I think of in terms of the magnitude of uh, what we're facing with what Andrew and his family are facing, it takes me back to the death of my own father, who, with reconciliation happening when I was in college, high school and college, from a very poor, shattered relationship with my father, especially when I got to college, I was full of ideas, and, and we'd made it a, a ritual date. Every Saturday morning, my dad and I spent the day together. I'd come, and we'd go shopping, run any errands, and then we'd have lunch together, long, leisurely lunch, and we got to know each other. In fact, when he died, only a couple of years after that practice, his mom and sisters reported who I had not known my whole life because he was estranged and he had been recently reconciled. Your father said that you were his best friend and there's no one who loved him like you did. You know what happened after that? He died. He'd had a, a stumble uh, from the back end of a pickup truck. I saw him the day after and that's the last time I saw him. He died in his sleep. 
That was very difficult to explain. All the accusations were hurled on my end. How could you do that? What, what purpose could this have that in the prime of our, our relationship that you should cut it off? Was I getting too happy? Was life too wonderful for me that you had to spoil it by doing something like that? Ruth Bell Graham is one of the most sensitive writers. Her husband, you've heard of him, uh, he, he gets deservedly a lot of uh, more press. This book, Sitting by My Laughing Fire, is uh, one of my favorite books. I go to it often. Um, uh, in fact, I was here uh, August 18th of 2002. Um, how can I pray while well, my heart cries, you killed my son? What can I say? How look for comfort from the one who willed it done? Omnipotent, he could have stopped it if he would have. My son, my son, numb with grief. My soul is one vast why. His life was all too brief. He was so young to die. Where were you, Lord? Where were you? And gently he replied, just where I was, dearly, dearly beloved, when mine was crucified. Pretty raw. Pretty accurate. I was disconsolate for months. Uh, I was in college, and I just quit attending. It's probably the most depressed I've ever been in my life. And the hard passage is because the ways of God are beyond comprehending. And no matter which way I looked at it, and I was, I was a Christian, though only a few years old in the Lord, I couldn't, no matter how obsessed I became over this injustice and this horrible plan of God, it was hard to swallow. Um, and in the, in the lowest kind of um, um, self-wounding, uh, as if to threaten God, I told him I couldn't believe in him if he were the author of this kind of cruelty. And it was at that point that I felt the uh, the voice of God, gentle, not scolding, and maybe stating the obvious. He says, something's wrong in our relationship because you are seeing me in a way that isn't even deserved to be expressed like that. It scared me. I never would have imagined that I could get so manipulated and absorbed in my stuff like that. And I've known, I've known grief. I have certainly uh, been the choice of uh, immediate call when tragedy strikes people in the church who want a word um, from their pastor. Why? I've been there when friends have gathered and I've been there with them and 
people say things that are just uh, unthinking and wound even more. I want to be sensitive, but I feel the Bible is a safe place to come, even if it says it truthfully, even if it says it with a sense of pang of conscience. It, I know it will always minister. So when Jesus says it's finally time, he gathers the disciples, he says things that sound gibberish. Um, like, I, I, lo I love this family so much, I'm going to not respond to them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have them wonder and be disillusioned over these days, and boy, are they going to be in a quagmire. Then I'm going to go, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote my Bible verse to them. That's what they need. Do you realize that he who dies in me shall live even when he dies? And Martha's response seems like, yeah, you're talking about the resurrection of the dead, of the righteous? Yeah, I know that. And she slips in, still holding out hope. We know that even now, if you were to ask the Father, he'd give you whatever you ask for. You think you want to ask? So even at that late hour, she has faith to believe and the ability of Jesus to make things all right. But he doesn't answer that impromptu faith statement. Um, and the master calls for Mary, and she goes out. The only difference is the dialogue's the exact same, except what? What does Mary do, which maybe redeems her conversation? It's by body posture. Mary falls at the feet of Jesus. And so you think, well, that's probably a little better than probably standing toe-to-toe -to -toe and saying, if you would have been here, my brother would still be alive. But nevertheless, they, Jesus wants to go to be with, not with the crowd. There's a big crowd that's gathered. We're told they're there. The disciples are there. Um, and then just identified as friends, but they're not part of the inner circle. The inner circle can have, rightfully, expectations. Um, I'll do whatever I can to help you, would be the understanding between um, Lazarus's family and Jesus. But that's been shattered. So when, when Jesus gets there with them, um, what, what seemed to dominate the atmosphere is Jesus being overcome with emotion. Uh, there, there's a very picturesque term, and I remember from seminary days, so that's, they had buggies in those days. It was a long time ago. But I remember uh, a certain Greek word used, and, and when it said that Jesus um, wept, uh, and in the, that context, there's a, a sound that is... Um, the, the word sounds like the, the, uh, the whine of a horse. Um, we weren't trained for these in, in seminary school, um, where you make, you know, kind of a, um, the, that kind of thing. I won't do that again. Um, and it is like being overcome and having, just like uh, people snort, 
uh, when they laugh, or some of you, go ahead and do it. Uh, it's that same kind of uh, reflexive thing that happens when you, some people cry, and Jesus apparently, on this occasion, if not all the time, had a distinctive cry that uh, he has this uh, kind of hoarse um, sound. And people who do not know Jesus well are, are surmise, my, he must have loved Lazarus. Look how he's carrying on. This was not some casual acquaintance. And yet others said, really? That's why he didn't show up? A man who's able to, to uh, give people sight can't make a two-mile walk to save his friend? Don't, don't, don't give me that. This is ostentatious. This is just pretend. It's not real. Don't tell me how much you love a person. Show up, would you? Do something helpful. So you think, man, Jesus can't escape it. Even from a casual acquaintance, they're making judgment. Um, he's the real deal. No, he's not. He's a fake. Why is Jesus crying so badly? You could, you could surmise it's, he's caught up in the grief. Um, weep with those who weep. Enter into people's situation sincerely. Does he not realize what he's about to do? He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Couldn't he be excited with anticipation? Like, man, the best is yet to come. There's no, no evidence of that. So that's what mitigates against he's crying because he doesn't know what they're going to do. Has Jesus lost control? Has Satan got the upper hand? Attitude check, Jesus. You got to be more hopeful than that. You're crying so badly. But over and over, we're told that Jesus is disconsolate. Um, he doesn't seem to be of any use. And then he asked something that, yes, he knows what he's going to do. Um, would you roll a stone away? That, that's never said by anyone um, of right mind. Um, but what he's going to do is something no one's ever done before either. Remember when, when Jesus prepares to go, one of the fellows, I think, was it Philip? Somebody says, Jesus, why in the world would you go to Jerusalem? You just came from there and they're ready to kill you. You're risking your life by going there. Like you, you delayed and couldn't get there soon enough. And now that you want to go, I don't know what, for what benefit, we know the glory of God, that Jesus is going to be magnified. We, we know. They don't know that, see? They don't have, they don't have the benefit of reading the account nor do they have omniscience, nor are they sovereign. So everybody is in the dark as to the actual purposes of God, except for Jesus. And wouldn't you know it? 
That's the way it always is. We don't have the script in front of us. We don't know how our life is going to turn out. But I, I bet dollars to donuts that this has to do something about the glory of God. And that through this and through every situation that the loving hand of our Father mitigates our circumstances, it's to our good and to his glory. Every single time, Dave? Every single time. Do you know the details? Do you, have, you, have you been through the rewrites to know exactly how? No, no. Just have a basic script that says the morals of the story is that God is going to get glorified. Are you for that? It's your prerogative. See, Jesus says, it is worth it to me that God be glorified. I'm willing to die for it. Wow, that's commitment. In fact, because he goes back, we're told that the Pharisees, the religious group that is benefiting from the status quo, they put into their hearts a plan to kill Jesus. If we let Jesus continue a ministry of miraculous signs and wonders, the whole world is going to go after him, and we're going to lose our place. He's ruining everything. I am sure glad he came and did this publicly. Guess what? That was the plan the whole time. Because he needed the working of the sovereign hand of God and the wickedness of people to do exactly God's bidding. So all of this was planned. The sisters said for Lazarus and for themselves, it's not worth it to us to have the Lord do with our brother and his life and our life. Because we're not willing to have God do anything in our life to his glory. Stop there, Jesus. You're not going to let this sickness continue. Carlton would have died. You know that? You know what I've learned for the last couple of weeks? I don't know him well. My first exposure, and when you get up here and start talking, some of you know how hard that is. And then when you, when you talk about heart things, it's even harder. Carlton's heart was revealed and that I've been hospitalized a lot in the last couple of years. When he talks about hospitalization, that can be a very lonely, doubting time. You get tested when you're, are you willing to die, David? Would you? I said, Father, if, you, if that's what you want, I want you to be glorified. It's not my life that's important. It's your life that's important. It's, it's the church that needs to be um, strengthened. And then you have that climactic moment when Jesus calls out to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. Who has mastery over death itself that he can command death and it coughs up the dead? Only one person can do that. We didn't know that. And the people there didn't know that. You know who believed? Martha believed in a new way that she never believed before. Lazarus, of all people, he... He's, what, what's been going on? And uh, late to the party, but boy, he becomes exhibit A of who Jesus' identity really is. You think he's happy? 
Did God use him as an object lesson? I bet that was the highlight of his life to die. Goes back again. Boy, to be able to be used of the Lord in such a powerful way. It's just wonderful. They didn't know that. So we don't blame them. Because we feel that way all the time, just like they do. This is not good. This needs to be reversed. But too late. Never mind. I'm not going to trust you anymore with my life. You're liable to send me to Africa. You're liable to put me up front, people, and have to talk. You're going to embarrass me. No, I'm going to keep safe. I'll be, I'll be out incognito. People will be surprised to find out that I'm a Christian. I'm not going to be out front about that. I don't, want, I don't want to say I'm a Christian and then fail. You see, Jesus was willing um, to give it all. And the hardest things, I don't know if you've loved people and been misunderstood. That part of it is super hard. Don't, don't you know me better than that? How could you even think that I was capable of doing something like that? And especially to you. That's why this thing speaks to me. Because um, these, these are among the most tender and hard to express emotions. The sense of betrayal. The sense of being abandoned. The sense of broken promises. The sense of somebody that could help but won't help. And you think from Jesus' perspective. Jesus have feelings? Do you understand the murmurs going around? How... The good friends. Don't you know me better than that? Apparently not. The text tells us, the last verse, like verse maybe 44, 45, it says, and the disciples believed, and the friends of Mary and Martha and Lazarus also believed. It was a payday for evangelism and for Jesus becoming known that may, may have been the highlight event, the crowning achievement of Jesus' life by the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And it is embroiled with disloyalty, slander, misinterpretation, and with hurtful things. I've been there many times. Shouting my guess. As to the inconsistency, the lack of faithfulness of God. And yet demonstrated very publicly and openly with great humiliation where his only concern was my good. Was Jesus hanging on a cross. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love, got me. And that's why Jesus said, when you come together, tell yourselves the truth about me and put down as exhibit A, I went to Jerusalem and I made a public display of my mastery over, over death in order to do that, 
I myself had to subject myself to death and humiliation and misinterpretation and all the horrible things that sin has brought to the character of man. But it was worth it. I love you that much. So lesser things that you and I face, inconveniences, disruption of plans, not going the way we wanted it, seems petty. That doesn't seem the right thing uh, for us to give allegiance to the Lord in mouth and then betray it in the attitudes we take and the rebellion that God finds in us for going through hard things. It's not going to stop for one concession. It won't do any good to you protest, to raise your fists, because we are creatures. He's our creator. He is sovereign. And we hardly know how to order our own life, much less to help God order the universe. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the humanity of it, for how it indicts us from the very beginning. There has never been anyone like you. And we can trust even if our eyes betray us, our ears know he's still not here. I don't know what's kept him. Well, I think I have a feeling I know. Lord, help us to ponder these things in our heart. Bring us to yourself. Allow the display of your splendor, of your miracle, into each of our lives. And maybe necessarily anyone can follow when it's easy. The test of discipleship is when you're called on to do something heroic, something of a stalwart response. And even if you would slay us, yet we will praise you. You were trustworthy, you were honorable, you were faithful, and you were good. We are your flock. Lord, do not let this flock be scattered. Let it not be disturbed, for God is still on his throne, as he always has been. In Jesus' name, amen. At Enclave, our mission is to cultivate and empower disciples, fostering a deepening connection with God and with one another. Together, we joyfully encounter, embrace, and embody the transformative love of Jesus wherever his calling leads us. For more information about us, please follow the links in the description.